0: Okay, Colossians chapter two, verse 16. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels taking his stand on visions he has seen inflated without cause by his fleshly mind and do not hold fast uh, to wait and not holding fast to the head from which the entire body being, being supplied and being held together by joints and ligaments grows with a growth, which is from God. If you have died, ...with Christ to the elementary principles of the world. Why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourselves to decrees, such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use, in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement, and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Uh, Father, again, we do thank you for your word. Uh, We ask that you would help us to navigate this section of Scripture. Father, help it to be understandable and relevant to us. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. Okay, so just to start out with, before this week happened, this was like a super difficult passage. there was a lot of things in my life this week. Really, on, on Sunday or Monday, I've lost track of of the things that happened. Um, I got word that a that a forty eight year old SEAL buddy of mine uh, passed away in Fallbrook on on like Sunday night, and so there was a lot of involvement dealing with kind of uh, making plans and his wife helping him with kind of uh, funeral arrangements. There was a whole Afghanistan thing, if you guys caught that in the news, that really like, has shaken a lot of my friends and, and just kind of going through that. Friday, a good friend of mine retired from the SEAL, seal teams, and I was able to like, be the chaplain. And then we have Brianna. So like, my whole week was like all over the place. I'm trying to look at this passage going, this is like really, really, really hard. And I'm like, okay, as soon as I get Brianna to the airport Monday morning at 10 o'clock, I'm going back to the church. I'm going to continue to lock myself down to try to, like, organize my thoughts. <laughs> well, that happened this morning at, like, 4 a.m., trying to, like, piece it all together. Um, I mean, I've had it, but it's, th- these are things that are, I don't know that we relate to so much in our, in our culture. And so trying to, th- to piece it together has been difficult. Charles Swindoll says this, sort of linking today's passage and last week's passage together. He says in Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 through 15, Paul emphasized the vertical aspect of Christ's person and work in securing forgiveness and liberation for those who trust in him alone for salvation. In Colossians 2, 16 through 23, Paul turns to the horizontal features of salvation. And he's going to tackle... Uh, three issues that were potentially plaguing, possibly plaguing, the Colossian church, and there's there's sort of categories. The the first one is uh, 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 legalism with a Jewish emphasis. Uh, the second one is um, mysticism, which I'll explain, and then the the last one was self-abasement, sort of. Uh, you know kind of being harsh on your own body to advance spiritually in essence and so the the essence of today's passage is to to go, we need to guard ourselves from drifting away from grace drifting away from Jesus and turning to things of our of our flesh that we think sort of help bridge the gap or advance whatever uh, fell short we probably don't say it like that of what Christ accomplished on the cross and he wants us to hold firm to the gospel and to hold firm to grace. This is so much of what we went through in Galatians, that there's liberty in Christ and it's this, this knife edge that we're walking on. And if you fall off on one side, you fall into legalism where you create a whole religious system of do's and don'ts that you think helps your relationship with God. But if you fall off the other edge, of the knife, you find yourself in license that said, well, since Christ died for me, I can just live however I want. And so today's passage is sort of dealing with that left side, the, the legalism and the works and the things that we, we do um, to try to bridge the gap. So we start with the first word, therefore, always therefore. What's the therefore? I'd love Mike yesterday during the Bible study, a therefore came up and he's like, what's the therefore therefore? You know, like, and he starts making a big deal and it was like kind of, hey, somebody's been paying attention in church. So this, this therefore, why is it there? And the, the immediate context goes back to verse 14 where we have this beautiful verse that says, Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile towards us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Jesus paid it all for our sins. He was our substitute. Everything was covered paid for in full, we stand complete before him based on the work that Jesus did, not on our own works. It's it's amazing. It's It's humbling. It's overwhelming. It's the picture that I talked about last week for those of you who saw the show Undercover Boss, that last scene where the boss reveals himself or herself, and they begin laying out how they're going to f- cover all of their debt, their college tuition, and then the person is just like broken because there's nothing that they can do but to receive in total humility. And in all the shows I've watched, the reaction is like this sort of this this hesitation of the individual with tears saying, can I give you a hug? Like this fear of the individual, but this like longing in their heart to just like embrace them. And I think that this is the picture that Jesus paid it all. He said, your debt is paid for. I've covered it. There's nothing that you can do. There's nothing that you can do to pay me back. There's nothing that's required of you just to receive. And our response isn't to be like, oh, well, I'm going to start doing all of these things. Our response should be, I love you, Lord. Can I give you a hug? Because this is overwhelming. And so Paul recognizes that these Judaizers and these other religious individuals are going to come in and they're going to infringe upon grace and they're going to step on the gospel. And so. Paul wants to protect these young believers who he's never met to guard them from these dangers. And he says, therefore, because Jesus died for you, because your debt has been wiped out, it's been blotted away, it's been nailed to the cross, therefore no one is to act as your judge. So this first issue that's addressed is legalism. John MacArthur addresses or defines legalism in this way. Legalism is the religion of human achievement. It argues that spirituality is based on Christ plus human works. Charles Ryrie defines it this way, a fleshly attitude which conforms to a code for the purpose of exalting self. And we see this in all sorts of relig- Like w- within Christianity, we see this all over the place. You probably have it in your own heart. I have it in my own heart um, that we're supposed to operate a certain way or look a certain way or talk a certain way or sing certain songs or you know, speak, dress, act, all of these things that we think is Christianity that we put onto ourselves so that we can sort of toe the line. And so Paul is super concerned that these individuals, these young believers in Colossians or Colossae are going to be influenced by these Judaizers coming through saying, now that you have accepted Christ as your Savior, now it's time to start acting Christ-like. And here's the rules and the systems that we've put into place. Things like circumcision and the law. And so he goes into some specific examples about what they could be going through or they are going through. He says, and let no one judge you in regard to food and drink or in respect of festival or new moon or a Sabbath day. And so these are Mosaic influences. These are influences that came from the Old Testament that are no longer really in effect, but they're trying to keep them influential even though Christ has overcome. And it seemed that the believers were not observing these things. Like it seems from this context, the believers that Paul is writing, it doesn't seem like that they're actually observing uh the food and drink requirements, the festival or new moon parties, or the Sabbath day. Like that they weren't doing these things. But Paul is fearful that because they're not, these influencers are going to come and start condemning them because they're not doing these religious events. And so he says, let no one act as your judge on these matters because Christ has died for you. So food and drink, we're not going to go into it. If you need to, you can read a Leviticus chapter 11 to see the food and drink requirements um and trying to like think about how this is relevant um I had a couple of stories come to my mind the first one really cracked me up so a few years ago well let me back this up there's a cop in escondido that's a mormon kind of a wild mormon i like him a lot like he's a really funny guy And he's, like, even done, he did, like, in his way to being a cop, he did, like, two years in Argentina as, like, a missionary. So, like, he's, like, legit Mormon, like, totally, like, knows the ins and outs. And so I would love, I'd, like, love doing ride-alongs with him because he's a total jack Mormon. That's another phrase that if you, like, which means he's not really practicing. I don't think he's temple-worthy anymore. But he, uh But he kind of gives me the ins and outs, like on Mormonism, like as I'm trying to like research it. And so one of the things, like a couple years ago, they they you know they opened the Walmart in in Escondido, and I was in there doing something, and I'm checking out, and I see this crew of Mormon missionaries hop out of a picket truck, but they're wearing their name tag and their white shirts, and then I'm I'm totally watching them. Like I like people watching. I think I must have been stalking them through the store, just kind of seeing like, hey, how do these kids like live and act, and what do they do, and And can you believe what I saw? One of those kids got two cases of Dr. Pepper. (laughs) What do the rules say? Like I'm not even a Mormon, and I know you're not supposed to be drinking caffeine, and here you are in uniform walking through the mall with two cases of Dr. Pepper. And I, like, followed the kid around, and I'm like, what's my approach? How can I call him out? And I'm like, I can't do that. I can't like. I, but I'm like, so who do I go to? I sign up for a ride along that night. And I say, hey bro, what's up with this Mormon kid in the mall or nothing? Walmart, totally parading around two cases of Dr Pepper. I was gonna call him on it, but because I don't know the ins and outs, I just decided not to. What's the deal? What should I have done? Because I really care about the Mormon <laughs> Church, and I want to make sure that they're like, you know, like. <laughs> And he's like, yeah, we're weird, you know, like, he was probably sneaking, he's like, he's probably sneaking it, or he had a boss, it was like, but so I'm looking at this like the food or drink, so of course I like, well, I, maybe I was, I don't know if it's exactly a good illustration, but I was totally doing it, like, I was judging the kid based on food or drink, but it was by their standards, so I have my excuses. Um, I do think this, so this Friday, I'm at a, at this, it wasn't a reunion. It was a, it was a SEAL team three reunion of sorts. So all these old buddies from like 30 years ago, it's like we all recognize each other, but we all kind of got old and fad. And like, we're like, kind of like, I know you, but you look dif- you look different, you know, like <laughs> we're doing all. And so I, I'm like, I see this one guy, turns out his name's Nathan and, and I, I go up to him. I'm like, man, you look really familiar. He's like, yeah, you look really familiar. I think I know you. And I'm like, oh yeah, I, I was the one who got in a lot of trouble. And he's like, I don't remember that because I was the one who got in a lot of trouble. And, and so we're, we're kind of like talking about where our lives went. And I'm there as a chaplain. And so he's trying to like piece together like, okay, you're functioning to you do the opening prayer. Like you just never know in this environment like what you're going to get. And, and eventually like in the midst of all the guys, we're like having this like private like whispers. And I'm like, well, are you like a, are you like a believer? Like, and he's like. Yeah, man, I'm like a I'm a evangelical Bible believing like yeah, the whole the whole thing. I'm like, "Yeah, me too." Like I'm a, He's like, "Oh, that's really awesome." And so then we started talking and it's like, I mean, during this ceremony, like part of the ceremony, they're doing shots of tequila. Um, <laughs> My buddy's a Mexican, and his his nickname was El Guapo. And the guy during the speech says, "El Guapo." If you look up in the Spanish dictionary, it means Mexican seal. And so that's like a super funny environment. And so we're like trying to figure out, like, like how do our old worlds fit apart? I'm like, yeah, I don't like. I'm like, I don't drink anymore. He's like, yeah, I haven't drank in 20 years since I started all my answer or 30 years. And he's like, now I have like 10 kids, and and I'm like, yeah. Like he's like, I'm married. I have 10 kids. He's like, I'm a PE teacher in Arizona. Like it's like super really cool conversation. I'm like. Yeah, I, like, I stopped drinking. Like, but then I caught myself after, like, I was, I was, like, watching the clock and I was, I was kind of going, okay, I've had a year, I've had five years, I've had 10 years, I've had, like, 15 years. And somewhere in there, I started feeling really, like, the conviction went to the other extreme where I started feeling like God was telling me you're a legalist, Gunner. And you have your little running clock. And something had happened somewhere where somebody, a Spaniard had offered me a drink and I said, no, 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 I don't drink. And then I started to feel really convicted, like, man, I I just totally shunned this Spaniard who's not a believer because of my, like, and so then I'm like, I feel like this is going to sound crazy to you because of the passage, because I know how we're wired, is then I got super convicted that God was saying, you need to drink a glass of wine. (laughs) And I'm like, what? And he's like, you need to drink a glass of wine. You need to destroy your little counter. And I'm like, okay, like, because I could tell you, like, I don't, I'm opposed to drunkenness. That, that was I don't have the gift of moderation. So like if I drank, I got drunk, and and so I was always really worried. But then it shifted to to religious building myself up. And so then you know like once every like three to five years, gunner will have like half a glass of red wine just to like clear out my little counter for the sake of when somebody asks me, would you like a drink? I don't say I don't drink. I have to say, well, I can't say that because now I've had half a glass of wine. <laughs> like, so now I have to say, no, well, can I get a a Coke Zero? Like, I'd really love a Coke Zero or something. You know, something to like, not be legalistic in my response. Okay, festival. You can look at Leviticus twenty-three if you're interested in that. The new moon celebration. You could look at Numbers uh, ten eight through ten. Uh, I don't think we really deal with these so much anymore in our day and age. Or I I fell short this week trying to figure out how to bridge that gap. Then there's a Sabbath day. Uh, What day is it, guys? Sunday. It's Sunday today. Why are we gathering to worship on a Sunday? I've had multiple conversations with people over the years that normally come from certain sects of sects of 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 Christianity who would say, you, we are in violation for a gathering on Sunday because God has set apart the Sabbath and you should be gathering on Saturday. And so, if you want to meet on Saturday, that's great. Um, I, I don't think Paul's condemning the people who are doing these things. Like, if they, if they want to do these things, they have freedom to observe these things as, as Jewish individuals who are have converted or accepted Jesus as a Messiah. They have freedom to continue in their, their messianic traditions. His, his condemnation is for those that are condemning the Gentiles or those that no longer hold to these things under the Mosaic law. And so the Sabbath, the one interesting thing is, if you know, everybody likes to go to the Ten Commandments. If you go to the Ten Commandments, nine out of the Ten Commandments are repeated in the New Testament that you can find jurisdiction in our lives that support nine of the ten, ten nine of the ten ten commandments. That just sounds really funny. Um, the one exception is the Sabbath. The Sabbath gets really, really tricky. And the only thing we have in the New Testament concerning the Sabbath is in Hebrews that talks about Jesus being our Sabbath, that we find our rest in him. Um, what the Jews had done with the Sabbath, this was a gift of God to give People, a day of rest in the midst of very uh, busy work schedules. And and when I've talked to my buddies that like really hold the Sabbath and bust my chops, like they get really ticked off at me when I say, well, do you like every seven years take a whole year off? (laughs) Like, do you every 50 years like, you know, give all the property back, surrender your family property? Because the Sabbath was like so much bigger than just like the Saturdays. But I, I think there's principles that we should observe. Like I think that, like you know, maybe it's Sunday or just taking a day to kind of like, un, un, you know, to, to unplug. I'm trying to say uncharge in my tired mind, uh, just to decompress and to say, Lord, I'm just going to give you a day to focus and honor you. We see from the very beginning that something happened on a Sunday morning a couple thousand years ago, and that was that Jesus rose from the grave. And from from the early church, from like in, in the like Acts, like right away, the believers started gathering on Sundays to commemorate the risen Lord. But they were taking all sorts of criticism that they were now gathering on Sundays, and so we saw things like the Jerusalem Council in Acts fifteen, where Paul like fought and pleaded with the elders or the um, the apostles concerning what are. What are the rules and regulations? How do we graft in the Gentiles into this Jewish faith of ours of the risen Lord? And they really duked it out. And they, they said, no, they're under grace. They don't have to be circumcised. But it would be really helpful if they didn't do like, these three things that we looked at a while ago. Um, so Paul really wants to de- de- defend grace, to make sure that people are placing their hope in Jesus alone. For their relationship with God, not all of these other things. Um, when I, when I look at this section of, of legalism, I, I, I can't, like the whole my experience at Grace Point Church, like over the last 14 years, I have legalism, like wired into me. Uh, I think it goes back to my Catholic days. And so when I first got here, you know, there was like eight, 80 year olds. And it was, like, my very first Easter, and they said, we need to have, like, a, a sunrise service. I'm like, okay. That, it was the last time we did it, because it's, like, sunrise? <laughs> you guys know what time sunrise comes? And it's, like... But so I'm like, okay, we'll do a sunrise service. <clears throat> and then this is the first, like, this is the first church I've ever gone to where there's a building. And so I didn't know a lot of the traditions. You know, like, I learned he is risen. He is risen indeed. Like, I learned that here. And... Uh, So I'm trying to figure out what's a good Christian pastor supposed to do. Sunrise service? Well, what what did he show up in a suit? And so I showed up in a suit. Do you guys know what Valley Center is composed of? (laughs) Cowboys. (laughs) And who comes to sunrise services? Cowboys. (laughs) And so here Gunner is like real straight-laced, my suit on. He's risen. <laughs> He's risen, and I felt so bad because there's all these cowboys in cowboy boots and jeans and like flannel shirts, and and I'm feeling like a real stuffy jerk. Like here I am in a suit. And like this was a terrible like, dear yeah, Gunner. Like what are you doing? And it's like that might have been the last time I wore a suit to church. Um, and then I go through COVID. We go through COVID. And we're meeting in 100 degree weather, and we're outside, we're meeting at 8 a.m. and it's like, okay, it's going to be like 132 degrees today. Like, does Gunner have to wear what Gunners normally going to wear? And I'm like, "Oh uh, no. I'm wearing shorts and flip-flops because it's hot. There was that one Sunday no, no, it started with Christina. And then I, oh, I forget it came from Where did the Wonder Woman socks came from? There were Wonder Woman socks. Christina and I'm like I'll preach in those and then Faye's like well I'll come, my daughter will come to church if you preach in those and I'm like oh. so I had them on before church and then when I came down to preach I'm like I can't preach in Wonder Woman socks like as cool as they are like I just can't pull it off but it was like COVID broke me of a lot of legalism within like today even as I like came to church I'm like I'm wearing jeans which is like a super big deal for me. Like it took covid to make me comfortable preaching in jeans and I'm wearing Vans and white socks. I'd wear flip-flops, but it's super cold out today for San Diego. And so I'm like And it's like dress is something that we almost always when somebody comes to or calls about the church like what do I have to wear? And it's like well clothes is preferred. Like like we really want clothes. Other than that we don't care. Like and it's tr- like it's true. Like, and I really feel that from our body. All through the Old Testament, even. What I see is that God cares about the heart, not about externals. Like there's there's so many things that God requested them that turned to external things, or the, the heart was dead and they were just going through the motions. And God says, What do I desire of you? And He wanted the heart to be right. And so this is the first section is like, don't worry about like the externals. God wants your heart to be right. Come in shorts, flip-flops, t-shirts. But what we want is a humble heart, somebody that wants to worship and care for God. That's that's our priority. He says, verse 17, these uh, things which are only a shadow of what's to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So he's saying these things in the Old Testament that they're trying to uh, project on you, It was just a shadow of Christ. It was uh, something to to lead and to prepare you for Christ. There's that saying, I have no idea where it originated from, but the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Like under progressive revelation or the Old Testament, God had only given them so much, and they're living and operating under the Old Testament. And then Christ came, and new revelation came, sort of expanding upon what God had revealed. And so we as Christians live in this jurisdiction of of, of grace. But so often we try to put ourselves under the jurisdiction of law, and that's not what God has asked of us. In Galatians, when we went through that letter, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 24, it said, the law is a tutor leading us to Jesus. That's Gunner's paraphrase, not what's actually, like, that's basically there. The point is simple. It's not about systems. It's not about rules. It's about having a personal relationship with Jesus alone, period, period. Then he goes into the second section, mysticism, which is, uh, it's a different one. He says, take care that no one keeps defrauding you of your prize. So the, the instruction is to be on the alert, to make sure these mystics didn't come along. And these mystics, uh, well, I'll get into that. So take care. It's a warning. Keep your minds guarded. Keep your minds in the word of God. Keep your minds on Jesus, because there's individuals who are going to come through, they're going to pitch a very good-looking, spiritually-sounding, sounds biblical, sounds God-honoring, and, and if you just follow this, then you'll be good, but the reality is it's actually attractive, it's, it's, it's for your flesh, and you're going to be defrauded of what God is trying to offer you, and that's freedom, liberty, and Christ, and you're going to get ripped off if you follow their system. Let no one defraud you by delighting in humility, the worship of angels taking his stand on visions that he has seen. John MacArthur says this on, on mysticism. Uh, mysticism may be defined as the pursuit of a deeper or higher subjective. That's the key word. Subjective means it's at the, in the eye of the beholder. So-and-so came, comes up to you and says, well, I've really had this experience with God. And it's like, oh great! Like, because there's nothing I can say. To, like, if you say, "Well, the word of God says this," but the person that well, I had this dream, I had like this vision. I'm like, "Well, did you have like a bad burrito or something the night before?" Like, who? Know? Like, I, I mean, that's just what I'm thinking. I'm not. My filter's really like thin right now. But it's dangerous because somebody says, well, God told me. Can you point to an exact verse in the Bible that you are quoting from? Because unless you can point to like Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, and say, God told me, and it's that verse or whatever the Bible verse is, you're on dangerous ground. If you're claiming, because what you're claiming to be is to be a prophet and you're speaking for God, and the Old Testament says if it's, if you're off, you should be killed. But it's super hard to defend when somebody says, "Well, I had this vision or God really spoke to me," and, and I I want to be very like loving and kind because God can move through things. Like I'm not denying that God could move through things, but it's but, but there needs to be like a spirit of humility and caution. And so this delighting in humility. I think this is like uh, the idea of like making a vow of poverty, making a a thing, like you're going to deprive your flesh through fasting, through money, through whatever, for the sake of actually building yourself up so that you um, kind of, amongst people, have higher spiritual credibility. Uh, Then it goes on to the worshiping of angels. And when you start looking at religions that have sprouted up in the last like, you know, 200 to 1,000 years, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, Islam, all appear with an individual, an angel appeared to me. And now God is speaking through this angel and, and me. It's dangerous. There's like so many of these angelic visions that sort of lead into stuff. My former Catholic background, I've mentioned this, like I can't tell you, like especially as a Navy SEAL And I grew up Catholic, so a lot of times, like, I can't tell you how many little trinkets I was given over the years. I think it's Saint Christopher, but I know he's one, but I think he's like the patron saint of like law enforcement or cops. It was supposed to be my lucky charm to keep me safe in combat, is what it was supposed to be. And so, like, all of these little family members would give me this stuff, and I'd have the little things in my pocket, and I'm like, So I'm trying to remember if my my memory was correct. So I went to catholic.org, and I started trying to see if I could find the right one, but then I came to the patron saints, and this is what it says from catholic.org like yesterday or two days ago. Patron saints are chosen as special protectors or guardians over areas of life. These areas can include occupations, illnesses, churches, countries, causes, really anything that's important to us. Like, the list was thousands. I couldn't find the trinket. I couldn't find the ones I got. I I mean, this is, this passage, which really stands out to me, I can't, like, people, you know, praying to Mary, they've taken humans that are created beings who are subject to the same laws of the spiritual realm as we are. They are sinners that are in need of a Savior that they've taken, they've turned into sort of angelic beings that derail us from following after Christ. Instead of praying to Jesus our Savior, we're praying to Mary. I've been really taking up a new, like, quest to, like, harness my Spanish. Every few years I go through this, like, where I really, like, just submit myself to, like... um submersion to the spanish language and it comes through like uh spanish tv programs and netflix and so like i'm watching it and like every now and again there'll be a word i don't understand and i'll ask Anna, and i'm like i think this is a bad word but i just can't quite figure it out and then, normally by the look on her face i can tell i'm like okay it was i don't need to know anymore just like i now understand that that sound is not good like i just need to know and and then i um I noticed, that, like, so Spaniards will say, Madre de Dios. That's a swear word. Mary's name is a swear word. They don't take Jesus' name in vain. They take the mother of Jesus' name in vain. I've probably gone away too much here, but it's like, yeah, I'll just move on. Uh, visions. This week I came up with a phrase which I really liked. There's a, there, it's been ongoing for, like, a while now, a, a decade and it's being refra- re uh defined by evangelical like leaders and protectors of the faith as heaven tourism these are the multiple books of Johnny dies goes to heaven then comes back tells a story writes a book about what heaven is all about there is they converted it to a movie and and it's like people are like eating it up, and it's like these are top bestsellers, and they're now getting their theology about heaven from these claims. One of these authors confessed he made it all up. One of the, one of the, the biggest selling ones about heaven, the, 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 the then kid then confessed, and he wrote a powerful confession. After his confession, Christian booksellers continued to sell the book to make money. Listen to his confession from, straight from Wikipedia. So it's as good as like, this is like good in a court of law. It says, please forgive the brevity, but because of the, uh, because of my limitations, I have to keep this short. I did not die. I did not go to heaven. I said I went to heaven because I thought it would get me attention. When I made the claims that I did, I had never read the Bible. People have profited from my lies, and continue to do so. They should read the Bible, which is enough. The Bible is the only source of truth. Anything written by man cannot be infallible. It is, the, it is only through repentance of your sins and a belief in Jesus as the Son of God who died for your sins, even though he committed none of his own, so that you can be forgiven. May so that you can be forgiven, may you learn of heaven. May you learn of heaven outside of what is written from the Bible. Well, let's see. There's a who died for your sins, so that you can be forgiven of heaven outside of what is written from the of Bible. Not only by reading the work of man. I want the whole world to know that the Bible is sufficient. Those who market these materials must be called to repent and to hold the Bible as enough in Christ. Alex Marleki. This is powerful. This is a like this is a young man who did this. They ran with his story. They made tons of money through this. He comes to Christ, recognizes what the Bible says, and how bad. Can you imagine the guilt of this guy? Like this is a powerful confession. And people are doing this all the time, profiting. There's no discernment in quote unquote Christian bookstores, Christian publishers, I should say now, because I don't know that Christian bookstores exist anymore. We need to have discernment. There are so many people that are trying to get your dollars to lead you astray, to follow them through their subjective encounters that departs from the scripture and pulls you away from Christ. Inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. So this may seem great and super spiritual, but it's really of the flesh. Verse 19, and and not holding firm to the head, from which the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with a growth which is from God. So in verse 19, he says you need to stay connected to Jesus. In John chapter 15, Jesus gives his talk about that he is the vine, we are the branches, that we need to abide in him, we need to stay close to him. If we depart from him, there'll be this cutting off, this pruning. The Apostle John at the end of his life in 1 John 2, 24 through 28 talks about this pleading with the Christians to abide in Christ, abide in Christ, stay in the Word, stay close to Him so that when He appears, you don't have to shrink away in shame. Our life, our existence, our understanding of God and the things after this life are solely found through the Scriptures and found in Jesus Christ. And so he goes on to say in verse 20, If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, if you have died with him, and his assumption is that you have. My assumption is that for the vast majority of us, that we have died with Christ. We have heard the gospel. We said, I believe that what Jesus did on the cross was for me. He was my substitute, and I am placing my life into his death. He says, if you've done that, why would you go after these things? The third category, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which are all referring to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of man. And so he addresses this asceticism. Asceticism by John MacArthur is the one who lives a life of rigorous self-denial In addition to practicing legalism and mysticism, the Colossian heiress were attempting to gain righteousness through self-denial. And I see this. I think about myself with that suit. Like I have a a good friend who's a pastor, tattooed from like here down to his fingertips, super great guy. Like his big claim to fame is when... that I blank it was Dave Mustaine, I think. Anybody know the lead singer of Megadeth? So the lead singer of Megadeth came to Christ like 20 years ago. And my friend, this tattooed guy, became his personal pastor, like went on world tour with Megadeth. And so like Megadeth songs, like he was under like copyright and and, and contracts with the people. So he's like, I'm singing these songs that I don't want to sing anymore, but he has to. And so This pastor buddy of mine is, like, on tour with him, like, like heavy metal, like, hardcore concerts, like, on the back saying, right, as you go out there, I'm praying for you. Just no cussing. Like, let's try to keep no cussing. Let's just go, you know? Like, I'm like, this is awesome. Then that pastor comes back, gets under the teaching of another religious guy. Then he became a pastor of, like, a church. And now this guy who's covered in head-to-toe is now preaching in three-piece suits every single Sunday. Like, and so, like, part of his denying or is actually, like, putting stuff on, it's like, whoa, what are you doing? And I think we we do this, like, how we think we have to look to, in order to be on the Christian team. Maybe it's, like, I always want to be careful. The Bible is very clear about drunkenness. The, the, there's freedom in Christ to have a glass of wine. Like, but in our culture, I, I say this, like, I'm not leading, I don't want you guys to all have a go big with headstands and doing shots after. Like, this is not what I'm saying. Like, there's there's freedom in Christ for glass. But the Bible is very clear about drunkenness. But this is too hard. This is too dangerous. This is too hard. And so instead of to, like, walk that line of grace and, and liberty, we want to come over here to law and say, just don't drink. I don't want to cause anybody to stumble. I don't want to... Uh, the stories that we can create to justify... Legalism. And he's saying, Why would you do this? Like, why would you subject yourself to this stuff when Jesus died for you and there's liberty and freedom there? Verse 23 These things are matters which do have the appearance of wisdom and self made religion and humility and severe treatment of the body, but they are of no value against fleshly indulgence. He's saying, Don't be fooled. This is all flesh. This is all carnality. It's just working itself out into uh, religious things. And so as we wrap up, I know I've I've gone long with the, about talking about Brianna early, but the, the so what of this, the so what is in Christ, we are forgiven and forever free. He has set us free. My chains are gone. I've been set free. I think of the wonderful song, Amazing Grace by John Newton, who like went through truly experiencing forgiveness of his sins, which were heinous. And so if we've experienced this grace, why would we drift from it? Everything else is a fraud, and it's only going to enslave you. And I really don't believe that the culture of our body is that we are like on the legalistic side. I would say that our, our error is we probably are more likely to like fall on the license side. But some of us, I do know, have a, have a history with these issues of legalism. Like, you know, not to call it my wife, but my wife grew up independent, fundamental Baptist with all of the rules and all of the systems. I think of Josh Manning, one of the missionaries we support, that if, if you infringe upon grace, you're going to be in for like a two-hour discussion with Josh. S- so often at levels, like I don't even think I understand. Like I, I have a hard time tracking because I didn't come out of that. But some of us, I think a lot of us, are more like me. Where in all honesty, I'm attracted to these these rules and these systems. Because if I don't wear jeans as a pastor when I'm preaching, that means I'm more godly. If I wear leather shoes, not vans or flip-flops, that means I'm more Christ-like. I became a Christian wanting to fit in. And, and so in my mind, I had that Christianity looked like whatever it looked like. It will look like Ned Flanders from The Simpsons to me. And, and so I felt like I needed to be like Ned Flanders. We haven't been saved to sort of mimic and promote Christian culture. We've been saved by Jesus and our task is to abide in him and to promote Jesus. And so in order to remain strong, we need to stay strong in the word of God. We need to go through books of the Bible. That's why we teach the Bible here. This isn't like a pep talk on Sunday. We need to worship Christ alone. We need to refuse substitutes. We need to be super guarded about allowing legalism to creep into our individual lives and into our body. We have been granted freedom in Christ. Let us live unshackled without fear of judgment by other Christians or other religious bodies because it's through Christ's work on the cross, not our own, period. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this truth that Jesus died for us, that in him we have salvation we thank you that it's about what he did on the cross that frees us from the condemnation of our sin. Father, I pray for anyone here who may be listening, Lord, that is unclear about where they stand with Christ. I pray that you would give them uh, clarity of what Jesus did on the cross so that they could respond. I pray that you would lead them into a saving relationship with Christ. Father, I pray that you would help us as your followers who desire to honor you with our lives and everything that we do, I pray that you would help us to, to walk that razor's edge of liberty, that we wouldn't stumble into to, to legalism and that we wouldn't stumble into to license, but that we, by your help, would be able to walk in liberty set free. We pray that you would just help us to be a, a body that genuinely loves you, Um, that can enjoy life and be grateful and and just a happy body, Lord, because of what Christ has done for us. We thank you so much, God. And it's in Jesus' good name I pray. Amen.